Well, this was a much more question and answer book when I first. I remember things <laughs> poorly. I do too. Whenever I do a uh, history podcast on a subject, people always come back and they're like, "Wow, that part when this guy did this, this, and this." And I'm like, "Oh man, uh, yeah." Once I get it out of my head, it's gone. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I tell people that all the time, yeah. and they, ne- they, they never seem to believe me. I'm like, "Oh no, I I've said it, so I don't remember." I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. I, I yeah. think that we probably had a similar schooling education experience that we mm-hmm. didn't actually study to learn we studied to pass the test yep exactly and once you put it on the test you don't have to think about no, it anymore done. and therefore you actually don't remember it anymore I, I was actually good at passing tests without studying like i would remember yeah. what the teacher would say and i remember i, I could identify okay that's going to be on the test right and i would remember it and i'd pass the test i wouldn't do any of the homework right <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that was always my grade downfall I just remember being kind of weirded out by people who failed tests because I was like, they told you everything was going to be on the test. (laughs) It's not not rocket science. I am recording. Oh, okay. And it has all stuff about me looking. Okay. Um, if do you remember that that the Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner episode? They're actually so it starts out with these little kids watching TV and they're watching the Roadrunner cartoon. Okay. Right, and so they one kid says to another, "It's like I don't know why the Wiley why the coyote wants to." The road, catch the roadrunner. He's just scrawny. He's like, why you can't eat him? And then it's like you see the roadrunner beep beep zip by, mm-hmm. and the kids like beep beep dang. And then all of a sudden, when the kid asks that question, the coyote hears him through mm-hmm. the TV and is like, stop! It's like, my young friend, let me explain to you. And he pulls down <laughs> I have yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. it's like this kind of. Um, it's breaking the fourth. It's breaking wall. the fourth wall, yeah. right? And you see that a lot of times in movies and things. Um, it's it's done in plays too. Like we have like an aside. I think Shakespeare even does that. Mm-hmm. He'll have some minor character off in the corner doing an aside. Like he'll make an aside to the audience. Oh yeah, kind yeah. of break that that mystifying thing. That's kind of what when you're doing meditation and going into the mental prayer conversation part of it is you kind of have our Lord break the fourth wall, mm-hmm. as it were. That yeah. you're not just sitting there watching this happen. You're actually there. You Presence. almost want to be three D and you mm-hmm. kind of walk around the scene. Um, and then actually engage our Lord in it. Like, you know, what are you feeling? What, what, what does this mm. mean to you? What, what should this mean to me? You know, what, what, what virtue do I need to imitate you here? Mm. And, and to have that kind of thing. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's, you can get into the contemplation part too of just simply, I don't really understand compl- contemplation myself. But it's just kind of focusing on one truth or one aspect, mm-hmm. or it's more of just an intuitive being present. And I think, especially when you meditate on like the sorrowful mysteries, I think especially the sorrowfuls. But I mean, it can be in the others. Uh, it can be in any of them. But for example, take the scourging of the pillar of you know imagining our Lord there, and you're standing by the pillar where He's chained mm-hmm. up, and you're basically 
to make an analogy, it would be maybe like when your wife is in labor, mm-hmm. you're not at the business end, you're, you're there with her face, calming her, holding her hand, mm-hmm. you know, stroking her hair, feeding her ice chips. You're there to help her through that. We can do that in our prayer. We can imagine our Lord being scourged, mm-hmm. and then we can stand there and kind of hold him as he's doing it and just thank him. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I've never thought about it that way. I mean, that would be one way of, of just, you know, doing that and just to spend time with him. It's kind of like, you know, the agony of the garden, his complaint to the apostles. Could you not wait but one hour with yeah. me? You fell asleep. So, you know, and say, Lord, you can imagine the scene in that moonlit night. You know, you see the apostles, you know, asleep mm-hmm. and you see our Lord kind of alone and disappointed and needing somebody to be with him. It's like, well, I'll watch while they sleep. I'll be with you and, you know, mm-hmm. in your agony, that sort of thing. Or on the flip side, you know, take the, the joyful, um, you know, Christmas is a great time of just silent contemplation, mm-hmm. of meditating on the nativity and not necessarily using any words, of just sitting, watching Our Lady hold the baby. <laughs> yeah. You know, or imagining yourself holding the baby. Yeah. I mean, that is, I think, on the natural level, and that most people have experience with that's that is a moment of natural contemplation of just like the first time you held a baby yeah yeah the very first time you held your very first child yeah there's nothing like it yeah you know and now holding a child that you know is god Mm -hmm. you know and just you're not necessarily thinking anything Mm -hmm. you're just being present you're experiencing so that's the being present part i think that's tough for men in general like there's a common complaint um, that it's even hard for a modern man to be present, like in the moment with his family. Right. <clears throat> and so that yeah, reminds me, we about a year ago, well, uh, last Lent, we started, um, uh, we put together a spiritual rosary where parts of the gospel were read in between mm-hmm. each Hail Mary. Yeah. And that helped, actually, for me at least, being present for the actual mystery of the rosary. Um, and and being there in right. that scene. It helps you set the scene. Yeah. Because um, my mind wanders. Right. If I'm right. not thinking about something specific. Um, and that, that's why Teresa of Avila, I believe, always said she would actually be fearful to the point of sweating if she had to go into her prayer without a book. Mm. She would need that. She said, I might not open it. I might not use it, but I need it there in case I get stuck or, or I need to refresh. And, you know, um, so to... So books are helpful, especially since they're portable. I mean, the Gospels are great. I always recommend um, the little New Testament. Mm-hmm. The, that It's actually broken up by days, so you can actually read the, the whole New Testament in like six months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it gives you just a little bit, so you don't have to, you know kind of when to stop. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, oh, I don't want to you know, read too much, or I don't want to read too little. Or if it gets boring, I'm like, oh, all I have to do is just read this little bit. It's, it's helpful that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, perhaps an underused... Um, tool for meditation is art. That's mm-hmm. why it's very important to have really good art. Yeah, very expressive art. Um, you know, um, I, I myself realistic I art. I think. Um, yes and no. Um, I think there can be a point where uh, a painting can be realistic to the point of distraction. Hmm. Interesting. That you're okay. not actually because what you really want to do is simply help you to get into the scene. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and that, that can be helpful, especially people perhaps with a weaker imagination. I don't think people who are like easily distracted, like you were saying, like your imagination. I think mm-hmm. you probably have a good imagination. Mm-hmm. It's just not disciplined. Yeah. 
you know, it just I would it agree with floats that. around. But, but <laughs> yeah. you, you probably, you know, imagine things very clearly and very well and vividly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I myself don't like icons, mm. but I understand them. I understand their purpose. And, you know, some people really love them. Why don't you like icons? I don't just know. Yeah. I, it's just uh, as an art that it just doesn't speak to me at all. I just find them kind of It's interesting because as soon as I said realistic art, I, in my head I was like, wait, actually, no, I like icons. Right, <laughs> right. I don't know why. Like um, the reason you don't know why you don't like them, right. I don't know why. It's, it's just something that I I don't know. I just I, I appreciate them, but it's just not something that speaks to me mm-hmm. spiritually. Um, whereas um, I'm thinking there's there's uh, the flagellation of Christ by uh, Bugaro. Yes, uh, yeah, Bugaro yeah. stuff. I mean, it's almost some of his stuff is actually too realistic. Not in the sense that it, it's gory or whatever. It's just. Um, oh, they look like photographs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, it's it might lack this kind of transcendent aspect to mm-hmm. it, where you get some of those great masters. Like um, there's something really great about Caravaggio or mm-hmm. Delatour, that yeah. um, uh, uh, Scura type of, of painting, um, or who did that? The Calling of Matthew was that Rembrandt? It's the very famous one where like Matthew's kind of in the shadows and there's this like this glow on Christ and he's like pointing all the way across this. It's a horizontal painting, and he's like Christ is at one side, far one, one. I don't know far if I've end, ever seen that. And Matthew's at the other in the shadows, and so there's this basically the center of the painting is just kind of this empty space, but Christ is like pointing through it to call Matthew. I think it's Rembrandt. Is it this one? No. Oh, that's no, no that, that's not. Hmm. I, you know, and I, I guess the other thing is stained glass windows. You know, they're technically not, I wouldn't say they're realistic artwork, but they're, right. they're, they serve the purpose of getting you to think about the scene that's being right. portrayed there. Right. Especially the ones we have here at St. Stanislaus in the, in the sanctuary. Yeah. Which many people don't, I mean, you can, you can see very easily the assumption and the assumption, mm-hmm. but the side ones, many people don't actually go bother to see yeah and they're very interesting because they're 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 parallels mm. so the one on the gospel side is the nativity so you have our lady with the baby jesus and saint joseph and the shepherd there mm-hmm. on the other side it's actually the birth of our lady oh wow so it's saint anne in the bed joachim standing over her and then the midwife is down with the the, the baby blessed virgin mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. So it's just kind of. Do you know how they pick those when they when they when they build a church they, back in the day? I mean, mm-hmm. is it? No. Um, I always wonder how those decisions are made. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Because I couldn't make those decisions. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I know you could. I'm good, yeah. <laughs> um, why those were chosen? I mean, well, like for example, our bells. All right, so we have three bells in the tower. Mm-hmm. One, the largest one is Saint Stanislaus. Mm-hmm. All right, so bells are baptized. We actually probably should do a podcast, a whole episode on bells. Yeah, um, on their consecration, their baptism, their symbolism, and and the, the power they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but just briefly, um, in this context, our bells are named Saint Stanislaus, and then the two smaller ones of the three are both named Ignatius Francis. I didn't know they named bells. Yeah, because they actually get baptized. The bishop comes washes them, names them, or anoints them. It's like a baptism for a bell. I had no idea. Yeah, it's really wild. So that's why I wanted, maybe we should, 
yeah. put us in the notes that a reminder to us to to, to look up and, and give a, a thorough thing on the bells of yeah definitely uh, especially since I just found out because we had the bell service that we need to start raising money to keep our bells going because mm. we're on borrowed time with the mechanism that rings it. Oh, gotcha. It's like from the 50s. Mm. And yeah, there's some other issues with it. So what are our bells names again? So it's Stanislaus and the two smaller ones are Ignatius and Francis. The reason they're named that, I mean, obviously St. Stanislaus is the right. patron of the church. The reason those two smaller ones are named that, and they're, they're double named. So it's not one's Francis and one's Ignatius. They're both Francis, Francis and Ignatius. Ignatius. Because the guys who donated the money were Frank and Izzy. <laughs> that's, that's the reason. That's how they got named. It's because the donor, it was named after the donors. And you see that in many you know, famous religious paintings. Yeah. You'll have the, the, the sponsor, the donor, or the patron in, in the painting. Maybe that's how I think stained that's, glass windows get chosen. That's kind of what yeah. my, my point was, is the, back to the stained glass, is that it may not just be the priest or the architect who's doing it. Um, or even the bishop, it may be a donor who right, has a particular devotion, devotion right? yeah. and maybe even want themselves in the window. Mm. Wow. That's not unheard of. Um, but, I mean, I know this parish mm. has always had a devotion to St. Anne, mm-hmm. so that kind of makes sense why why the birth of the Virgin is there. Mm. Saint, it's, it's like, what else, what other scene of St. Anne's life would you have? You know that one existed. Right. We don't know, everything else would be speculation about what we could say about St. Anne or St. Yeah. Joachim. Um, so, and then, then to parallel it with the birth of this Messiah with, and the birth of his mother makes kind of some sense. And those are different style windows too. They're than everything else in the church. The other, the rest of the church are just kind of colored glass and designs, yeah. symbols. These are actually figures. So, so we've kind of cold open this episode without doing a proper intro, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> well, we could do a proper intro now and you just cut and put it back. We could, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, welcome, everybody, to NPR, Monsignor's Parish Radio. We are here without Andrew. So we are not joined by Andrew. We are Andrewless. Andrewless. We are without an Andrew today. Um, and Monsignor is going to talk about the rosary. And um, I'm going to jump in when I am confused about things, which happens pretty often. <laughs> or just give, you know, we just have a natural conversation like we were just having about, you know, kind of going down this path or that path, a winding path of how do we get on to talking about I think I brought up meditation, oh, meditation and we started talking about art and how that lends right. itself to right. to those types of um, things. And you said not to call it meditation. Well I, I think I, I think if we can find if we're hung up about something, right? If we have a block and we're having a trouble with something, sometimes just calling it something else, having a some sort of mental paradigm shift mm-hmm. is helpful. Like, you know, um, you know, like if you're not, I, I if you're think not about goal it. oriented, it's like, well, what are your goals? I'm like, I don't, I don't have <laughs> We're not goal. I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have any goals. What do you mean goals? I don't, it's like, well, what motivates you? That's just a different way of saying the same right, thing, right? right? But right. It's, a, it's a paradigm shift. What, what speaks to you? What will get you to do the thing? And that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. So... You know, and that's why you know I've actually been counseling a lot of people of, of you know, they neglecting their prayers. I'm like, well, look, first, I'm I don't want to, anyone to jettison formal prayers. Those are good. You know, all those prayers that we learned in preparation for First Communion, the the Hail Mary, the Our Father, the Creed, the Act of Contrition, Acts of Faith, Hope, and Love, the Memorari, all those things. Those are good, and they're should be memorized, and we should continue to pray them because they are formative. 
They give us a vocabulary, how to talk to God, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. They teach us truths about the faith. They're very important. Um, but that's not the whole of our, our prayer life. It shouldn't be. And if we think of prayers kind of like I have to sit down and say my prayers, mm-hmm. if that makes it difficult for you to pray, well, then call it something else. Right? Have a different perspective on don't make it a checklist thing. And so my suggestion, one of my suggestions is um, viewed simply as a relationship. And this is kind of where we got into talking about, you know, mental prayer and meditation. What and the, the two real things that, that cause a relationship to grow are shared experience and constant or frequent communication. And, you know, take example, like one example from my life is my best friend. We grew up next door to each other. So that's a shared experience. Many, it's a series of shared experiences. We could group under the heading of we grew up together. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know if we grew up, we, we got older. <laughs> I'm not sure if we actually matured. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, you know, I was four, he was two when he moved in next door. And, you know, we went uh, all the way through high school together and, you know, even kind of overlapped um, college experiences to a degree uh, together. Um, and so all that, that formative experience, you know, I can call him up right now. It's, you know, even, even though we don't have that frequent communication anymore, because our lives have just kind of done different things and different obligations. You haven't lost places. anything through time. Right, is what you're right. Saying. Yeah. So, so there's that, that, there's a fundamental thing or, or perhaps a more um, uh, dramatic uh, example would be, you know, the friendships forged in combat, right? Your friend yeah. in a foxhole going through a traumatic formative experience like that, those guys are friends for life. No mm-hmm. matter what, yep. I mean that's that shared experience. It galvanizes them. Period, mm-hmm. um, and they can. But the thing is, like with my relationship with the 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 boy that I grew up with, or somebody in the military who has that combat experience, it's not a robust and maintained friendship without the frequent communication. Mm-hmm. So if you have the frequent communication, then you have a growth in intimacy, and you you have it maintained. Um, and if you have a frequent communication as a starter, like you have a pen pal or something, and then you end up moving next door to each other or something like that. So the frequent communication is actually part of a shared experience itself. Mm-hmm. So with regarding our prayer life, if we consider that God has constructed the shared experience for us, right? That's a, that's a perspective that we could take on the incarnation. Mm-hmm. It's like God could have saved us any other way. He could have been incarnate in a different way, right? He could have just walked out of the desert as a fully formed adult man, right? He could have just kind of come down from heaven having assumed a body. He didn't have to be born. He didn't have to be gestated and born and right. grow up right. and have a mother and a family, but he did, right? So the incarnation is our shared experience with God of his own doing. So he loves us so much. He wants this intimate relationship with us that he's he's forged this shared experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that we can, you know, hold on to. And well, so how how do we make the connection with the shared experiences? Because well, oh, he lived two thousand years ago. I you know, I wasn't. I'm not an apostle. I didn't you know work walk with him through you know the Transjordan and you know up to to Jericho and Jerusalem. I didn't do that. But you can. Right, and that's kind of what meditation provides. Mm-hmm. 
What is beeping? I don't know. It's your house. <laughs> oh, it's probably the coffee maker. I was descaling the coffee maker. So anyway, um, sorry. Uh, so the incarnation, the, because he chose to do it that way from you know conception and birth all the way to his death, if we just look at the years of his public life, or what's recorded in the Gospels, mm-hmm. right? So his infancy and uh, those infancy narratives and then uh, his public life, two and a half, three years. He experienced everything in that that's recorded in the Gospels that there is some analogy we can make in our everyday life, right? Yeah. So, for example, were you a baby? So was he. You have that in common, right? You're looking for these commonalities. (laughs) Did your parents ever lose you? (laughs) Yeah. Did your parents ever lose you? Exactly. You know, did they ever misunderstand you? (laughs) Yeah. Ever feel a misunderstood teen? Every teenager can relate to that. So was our Lord. (laughs) Um, You know, were you ever hungry? So is he. Mm-hmm. Tired, thirsty, feel put upon, misunderstood, ever have enemies, ever betrayed by a friend. Mm-hmm. All these things. Um, you know, yes, he didn't have sickness. He didn't have certain things, but he underwent temptation. Yeah. It was a real temptation, um, not in an internal way like we do, but it was still a testing. Um, did he ever have to leave home? Yes. Um, but, I mean, we may get sick, but... He was scourged, so mm-hmm. you know yeah. th- that sort of thing. So there's that. Visit, it may not be a one-to-one comparison like some of the other things, like hunger or thirst, um, but there is. He understands human physical suffering. He mm-hmm. understands the angst of suffering. He understands the trauma of losing a loved one. I mean, he wept over Lazarus. Um, yeah. He rejoiced at the wedding at Cana. I mean, every human experience is recorded in the Gospels, and is done so that we can make a connection. And that's the idea of reading the Gospels frequently to know our Lord's life, whether it's the Gospels or a good life of Christ based on the Gospels, is if we have that in our memory and our imagination, that's our go-to of shared experience. Because like, if I were to call up my friend Tim, who I grew up with, we could talk about, well, catch up, what's new, but that's not because I'm not with him. That's like interesting and I'm happy for you and I, I want to hear good things. But inevitably, we will talk about things of the shared experience. Right. That's our commonality. That's where we forge the relationship. And so that's the thing. We go into our life, and that's a good place to start in your conversation with our Lord. You know, whether it's kind of your set time of 15 minutes in the morning of imagining the passion or reading the passion and and imagining it and, and entering into it, or whether it's, you know, you're taking your lunch break and you're really hungry. It's like, oh, Lord, you were, you know, hungry and thirsty with the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, and that that can prompt us of that shared experience of, hey, we're not alone, mm-hmm. right? We're and in one sense, our Lord's keeping us company in our everyday activities, but we're also keeping Him company, right? Because He He did that to to hide in our everyday activities, but then we can go one step further and say, okay, Lord, you were there to reach out and to be something, uh, some sort of positive presence to this Samaritan woman. Now I can start looking around at lunch. Who can I be that? Who can I be Christ to, as it were? How can now Christ, through the shared experience, use me as an instrument to continue on his work? Who do I need to reach out to? Yeah. Right? Is there somebody sitting eating alone? Somebody, you know, in perhaps in the office that is kind of the Every office, I think, has a, a bulldog and a dog that you kick, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Hierarchies in, in every, every, every place, you know, to, to make that friend or to, to, to heal a wound or whatever, simply just to listen to somebody or whatever it is, is to, to, to do that. And so then, 
if the incarnation as recorded in the gospels is our shared experience then we should know it but then our frequent communication is simply our prayers right so it's not like oh i've got to say my prayers now or, or now i have to do this exercise this spiritual exercise which can seem daunting especially if we have no experience but if we just say oh i got to check in with my friend it's the same it's thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's a paradigm shift. It's a mental change. And, and especially think, now, you know, with, with cell phones, you're you're always oh, checking your text texting away. All yeah. The, you know, yeah. send our Lord a text. And it's simple because prayer is simply raising your heart and mind to God. Mm-hmm. And so even if you just just kind of recall the scene of just imagine the well. Just imagine our Lord there at the well. You know, or imagine our Lord um, you know, pick another scene, you know, um, with Zacchaeus in the tree. Mm-hmm. You're there. It's like you're kind of watching Zacchaeus. It's like, oh, our Lord's coming. He, in the gospel, he was going to Zacchaeus's house. He's going to dine at Zacchaeus's house that night. Oh, I should get dinner ready, right? Mm-hmm. Because I want our Lord to be present at dinner tonight. Right? That right. sort of right. So just to make those connections and to live a bit more supernaturally. Um, and I'm very, I'm learning this myself because my go-to has always been because my head is full of garbage. Right? I've got all these pop songs and, and <laughs> cultural references in my head that's the kind of the filter that which i compare my experience to mm-hmm. oh it's just like you know when you know radar on mash did this yeah. like well that's not the connection i really <laughs> should not, be making yeah. you know yeah. or always oh, oh this billy joel song I don't know. no that's not the connection <laughs> i should be making is is you know positive or negative as those things may yeah. be my oh it should be like when our lord did this or, or we can extend it to the life of Our Lady, or we can extend it to the life mm-hmm. of the saints. It's like, oh, this is like when this happened to Therese, you know, and she kind of grew up at Christmas and she put away things of a child. Yeah, that's a good point because you, there's unique experiences to mothers and fathers. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So there might not be something, as I say, a close parallel that you might find in the life of a saint that will be a more close yeah. parallel. You know, yeah. like in the the life of Saint Monica, you got problems with a wayward child or a difficult husband you say monica understands and right. that's that's part of the generosity of god of giving us the communion of saints and the church recording those lives and passing them down and, and encouraging us to know them and read them and, and have patron saints is is ultimately to foster our intimacy with god and that's the idea it's a huge help i, I think about that all the time when things are tough for whatever reason it's like well it wasn't as bad as Say Maximilian Million Colby. You know? right. Yeah, I'm hungry, but not that hungry. <laughs> at least, at least I know what we'll eat today. Yeah, you know, right. uh, that's true. That's and so true. with the rosary, the the to tie it back into the rosary, I'm thinking is that's such an intimate prayer. It when you study the mysteries of the rosary, it it puts you into that that time and place of Christ. Right, and that. The idea is to for that to become a shared experience, right? Right, because every every time you meditate on something, you get new insights, and that's an actual real encounter with our Lord. That now is a real shared experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not not that simply reading and understanding His life is not a real experience because that was it's a historical reality and it's mm-hmm. it's real to us. But now we make it a more let's say a personal shared experience yeah. that I'm, we're actually sharing this in the now. This is a, a new experience of an insight that you're gaining from reading the Gospels and, and talking to our Lord about it or simply consoling him or rejoicing with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what, what was it? What you can ask our Lord after the transfiguration, 
you know, it's like, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Those guys, they're not getting it because, you know, kind of reading back, like, you know, Peter, James, and John, yeah. like, I'm 2,000 years ahead. I know what's happening here. Yeah, like, yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know? Like, they were in it. Yeah, we just glorified. Yeah. That was really yeah. cool. Um, I'm trying to think of other uh, other joyful things. Or just, you know, thinking of our Lord, you know, at the wedding feast of Cana. Mm-hmm. You know, he's there as a happy participant in a wedding feast. I mean, he's feasting. And it's different when you when when you just when you read the life of Christ. To me, it's different than when you try and emotionally connect with it. Like right. when I learn history, when I can make an emotional connection to the the people and the events in there. Right. If you're telling me names and dates, it's it's gonna it's go dry and yeah, and I'm right. not gonna remember it. No. And I I think that's you know, the same thing could be said either studying our Lord's life. It can be dry and blah, mm-hmm. um, or any saint's life or whatever, or even saying our prayers. If we're not actually engaging, that's why it's always important, no matter what kind of prayer we're engaging in, whether it's, you know, reading the scriptures and doing a mental prayer or meditating on the rosary or simply our formal memorized prayers or reading out of a prayer book, take a moment before you start and remember to put yourself in the presence of God. Remember that he's there. He hears you, that you're conversing with him. Mm -hmm. Remember to whom it is you're speaking and that who who is, you know, it's the, the one who loves you more than anything uh, and anyone else and wants to be a friend to you mm-hmm. and that that hopefully would change perspective I think that's that's an important thing is you know what will what's a fresh perspective on something that will will get me to do do it as a habit and and propel me on to be mm-hmm. better and that's another thing is is we want to be better why because that's actually our happiness I was just thinking on this the other day or maybe it was this morning. Um, God is the rewarder of happiness, and he's the only one who can actually give us happiness. Mm. But how does he do it? Well, he is, you know, being and goodness and truth itself, and so he's perfectly happy in and of himself. So he wants to share that happiness with certain of his creatures, angels and men. So what does he do, at least in the sake of men, and he does it so with angels, but... um, he constructs things in such a way that we become partakers of the divine nature. Mm. So it's not that he's giving us something. I mean, in one sense, our happiness is external to ourselves. But then because of the means of God, he's actually making it interior. He's making it part of our yeah. supernature. He's raising us to the level of divine nature, which of itself is happiness. It reminds me of circling back to what we were saying about art. Like there's when you come across a piece of art, whether it's a painting, a sculpture, even a song that strikes you on the interior, right. it, it reminds me of that, that, that that's there's no feeling quite like that. Right. There's this kind of transcendent yeah. feeling um, or experience. It's not necessarily even a feeling. Sometimes it's like, well, what are you feeling? Like, I don't know. You know, it's hard yeah. to put in words. Like when the mystics talk about what, what they see or whatever, it's like they, they don't have the words for it. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's, it's interesting and telling that this is why we do God's will. This is why we obey God. And this is why we do our duty, right? Our state in life is because by doing so, we grow in virtue. Virtue, virtues are habits. They're, they're permanent dispositions that actually make us good. So by doing this, we're cooperating with grace, which also makes us good, acquiring virtues, being infused with supernatural virtues, and we're becoming more like God. Mm. 
So we're increasing, as it were, that divine nature within ourselves, and that's our happiness because we're, we're more like God, and God is perfectly happy in himself. Mm-hmm. So that's the only way to happiness is to be like God. Mm-hmm. And so when you are good, right? I tell the children this. When you're good, you're working out your happiness. Mm-hmm. What? And I, I, I'll ask them. It's like, <clears throat> does the devil want you to be happy? No. Is the devil himself happy? No. Can the devil give you happiness? No. Who can give you happiness? Only God. So it's a lie of the devil. He tells you what he's told us all the way down to Adam and Eve. To be happy, do whatever you want, whenever you want. And that will make you happy. All you have to do is ask him. It's like, how'd that work out for you? You're pretty miserable. And that's what you did. Yeah. That's not, that's a lie. And so I try to get the little children to understand to do whatever you want, whenever you want, is not going to make you happy. What makes you happy is being good. Obey mommy and daddy. Mm-hmm. Do your chores. Don't complain. Be cheerful. Be helpful. You know, don't provoke your brother and sister. Don't punch him in the head. Mm-hmm. You know, doing these things, you will actually be happy. And I said, it's not going to be immediate. This is a long road. This is a different thing. But in doing that, you're becoming more like God. God's going to give you his own happiness. Mm-hmm. And he has an abundance of happiness. And the same thing is for adults, too. Maybe all of us. Well, I, I just mean in terms of having a kind of having a, a closed system of uh, morality that you work within. Right. Um, you're, it, you're, it's easier to find fulfillment. Mm-hmm. I think. You think? <laughs> <laughs> I hope. <Yeah. laughs> Um, so uh, do you want to circle this back to the rosary? Because that's kind of what, what started the yeah, conversation. Yeah, we can kind of circle this back. Um, so I actually have this, this, uh, a bit of a, a crutch here. Oh, it's a, it's a good book. I'll, I'll plug the book. Why not? Um, Sophia Institute Press, which puts out some very nice things. Uh, this is by Dave Armstrong. It's called Proving the Catholic Faith is Biblical yeah. from Priestly Celibacy to the Rosary, 80 Short Essays Explaining the Biblical Basis of Catholicism, oh, wow. which I think is, is very helpful. Um, and so, you know, this is from his chapter 32 about the rosary. Is it, is it vain repetition? So a new Catholic convert was struggling with some things in the faith and asked about the rosary some years ago. Mary is most often mentioned in the rosary. I find it difficult meditating on Christ when Mary is so prevalent. Why is Mary so heavily infused into the prayer? And so this is Dave Armstrong's reply. We have to understand the nature of the rosary and the purpose of the repetition. Most of the words in the Hail Mary are, it should be noted, straight from the Bible. And it's incorrect to say that because Mary might be the word repeated more than any other in the rosary, that therefore she is considered more important than our Lord, or is the focus of the rosary meditation. The intent of the repetitions of the Hail Mary is to form a sort of background music, so to speak, to the the meditations on mostly the life of our Lord. So uh, he gives an analogy here that from his days as a trombone player. He says, at graduation every year, we had to play the famous Pomp and Circumstance by Edward Elgar. Now, was the purpose of the commencement ceremony to hear Pomp and Circumstance 71 times? No, of course not. (laughs) It was to honor the graduates for their accomplishment in achieving the high school diploma. The music was the background, just as the soundtrack to a movie is. And a movie would be very different depending on what the soundtrack is. Mm-hmm. As a, aside, this is not in the book. It's kind of an aside. Um, it, it can you watch a scene and you play no music, it's one thing. You play suspenseful music, it's something else. You play romantic music, it's something else. It's mm-hmm. the, the same visual. So um, 
That's a whole other thing. Maybe we should get. That's a fascinating analogy. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. It's really helpful because, like what you were saying about how you have you have you have your your the the formal prayers that we have, mm-hmm. but then when you also have the internal prayer, the internal conversation, and it seems like from that analogy, the rosary is both. One of the great things about the rosary is that it's it treats us in our nature, right? Mm. In that it's tactile. Yeah, it's auditory it's 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 spiritual right it's and really, beautiful it's, too it's Rosaries really can be yeah. beautiful you know like uh, the the actual physical the actual rosary. thing right yeah. the, the blessed object is beautiful we're using our hands to count the beads mm-hmm. right so our body's engaged we're doing it out loud usually mm-hmm. um so you're using your voice but you're also hearing it so you have that background music um many times if you're doing it in church you're gazing upon the blessed sacrament mm-hmm. or the tabernacle or a painting um or maybe even in your home an image of our lady so your your eyes are engaged um, your posture is usually one of prayer, but then your your soul and your mind is also engaged in meditating on the on the prayers mm-hmm. or on the prayers or on the mystery or, or what have you. So, it's it's a very engaging form of prayer mm-hmm. uh, that that speaks well to our nature. That our our whole nature we're really worshiping God in spirit and in truth, right? Because and with our whole being, which is also the the first great commandment. But you said it's a great analogy. He says it's not a perfect analogy. Few are. <laughs> But the Hail Marys and the Rosary are, at least in part, a sort of rhythmic background to the meditations. And the repetition offers a way, rather ingenious when fully understood, to move forward in the prayer and to avoid distraction, something we're all very familiar with. So you say it's difficult to meditate on Christ while repeating the Hail Marys. This is, I would venture to guess, probably mostly a function of unfamiliarity with the Rosary. It's very different from much of Protestant piety, such as uh, such just as things such as penance and purgatory and prayers for the dead and asking saints to pray for us are quite foreign at first to the typical Protestant mind. It's a learned art to a large extent, and your experience is common to many converts. Then he goes on um, to talk more specifically about, about the rosary. So we find in the Bible a similar sort of repetitious chant-like form. Right, This is straight from the Bible. Right. Psalm 136, in which the same phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, is repeated 26 straight verses. Mm. Wow. So if you're going to pray the scriptures, you can pray the Psalms, and you pray Psalm 136. This is uh, not Douay counting. This is RSV counting. Mm. Uh, that's what's in the book. Um, but still, that's that's pretty repetitious. Yeah. You know, uh, let's get that straight. So 26 straight verses. The Hail Marys and the Rosary are somewhat like that. So it's, it's in one sense, imitating the Psalms, which is very fitting, because the Rosary developed out of... The divine office so the, mm-hmm. the the monks and the religious were praying 100 in the early days the ancient days they would pray all 150 psalms every day wow it's been shortened out to the traditional office to 150 every week mm-hmm. um but if you count that that's exactly how many hail marys there are right so you oh. would say a hail mary for every <clears throat> psalm that the monks were saying right either because you couldn't because you were in the world or you were illiterate you couldn't read the psalms anyway and so you would say a Hail Mary for each of the Psalms. And that's that's a an historical development of it. Of course, I still stick with the traditional story of Our Lady giving the rosary in its current form to, to St. Dominic. Or at least the, the Dominican rosary giving it. Mm-hmm. There's different forms of the rosary. I'm not sure if you are well, aware well, of that. Or... The idea of prayer beads of some kind have been right. around for a long time. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, so maybe we could, rather than calling it the rosary, that's the, the genesis of... Catholic prayer beads mm-hmm. is to count the Psalms that way. Um, but then the, the Dominican rosary, which is the most common rosary that we, we pray here and, and whatnot that was given by Our Lady to St. Dominic, 
The Franciscans have one is the joyful. They, they I think, have seven joyful mysteries that that's their rosary. The Servites have the seven sorrows of Our Lady, and that's kind of their particular rosary. Is that the, well, there's, is that the chaplet of sorrows, or is it, there's something like that, right? Yeah, I think it goes by, rosaries are often called chaplets. Oh, okay. Yeah, as well, okay, so, gotcha. Or coronas, oh. crowns. Um, so, yeah, in one, Psalm 136, we say, for his steadfast love endures forever 26 straight times. Um, so these are not vain repetitions, um, you know, where Scripture, like in Matthew, is talking about heaping up empty phrases or do not repeat yourself in prayer as an admonition elsewhere in Scripture. So the Protestants who argue that all formal prayers that repeat phrases are empty or vain overlook the entire deeper meaning and import of the biblical narrative in context. Our Lord is recommending and exhorting his hearers to a genuine, humble piety of the heart, as opposed to an empty, shell-like, merely external piety intended to be seen by others in a spiritually prideful sense. Right, so prattling on and on in repetition in order to be seen. And right. that, that It's kind of like you've achieved the goal in their saying and not not in their actual praying. It's not a connection to our Lord. So this theme of authentic verses, sham piety is prevalent in the Sermon on the Mount. If we see in um, Matthew 6, 1 to 6 and verse 16. Also, again, Matthew 7, 20 to 23. Uh, the same general idea is also observed in Mark and Luke. And it's not that all long prayers are condemned any more than repetitious prayers are, but that prayers made with pretentious, prideful spirit showing off in front of others, trying to make people think one is super pious, those are condemned. Mm. That was a common epithet leveled at seminarians in my seminary. At the t- and when I was there, you would call somebody a pious fraud. Because <laughs> they're there, they're, you know, they have to be the first in chapel and you the guys last would, one would to call, leave. Oh, okay. You oh, actually yeah. call people that? <laughs> well, actually, we got that. Behind their back. No, we, do, we say to, <laughs> right their to their face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, Father Jelly used to, wait, it came from Father Jelly. God, God rest him. Father Fred Jelly, Dominican priest who who taught at at my seminary back in the late nineties. We would do something. We would we want to say some prayer because what we'd always try to do is we we're trying to eat up class time because mm-hmm. you know seminarians are, are boys too, mm-hmm. and we we're trying to get out of classwork. <laughs> and so we'd want to like, hey, could we say the litany of Our Lady for the opening prayer instead of just like a simple hail, hail Mary? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you guys are pious frauds. You just want to do all this long stuff. <laughs> he was right, right? Yeah, that yeah. is using piety. For uh, something other than uh, something other yeah. than than the prayer is actually meant for. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he was right in calling us that. That's really. But funny. then we would we t- we cottoned onto that that <laughs> that phrase that name and would use it against each other. You yeah. pious fraud. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Dave Armstrong continues. Lastly, in Matthew six seven, Jesus qualifies what he is opposing in prayer at, with as the Gentiles do. So he's not talking about the Hebrew tradition of prayer, which quite obviously included such much repetition, such as in the Psalms and the priestly chants and prayers. He's not even talking about his frequent target, the Pharisees, but rather the pagan or heathen, according to various translations, the Romans and the Greeks, people who followed a different and ultimately false religion. That element and the aspect of interior piety indicate that the passage is far more than merely a discussion of repetition let alone all repetition, as if God is condemning that. Otherwise, you'd have to use different words every time you pray. You couldn't say the Our Father. So our Lord teaches you to pray, and then you can't say that prayer more than once? Is that Otherwise, it would be vain repetition. <laughs> yeah. The emphasis is on the vanity, not the repetition. Right. So Jesus himself used repetition in prayer. For example, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words, as recorded in 
Matthew 26, 44, and Mark 14, 39. Moreover, we know that worship in heaven is extremely repetitious. Revelation 4, 8 says, Day and night they never cease to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was mm -hmm. and is and is to come. That's repetition. So we should, call, should, we should recall all these things the next time we hear repetitious or indeed any formal prayer condemned as vain repetition or supposedly impious by nature. Citing one scriptural passage out of context without considering the related biblical data is always dangerous. Hmm. I think it's very well explained by Dave Armstrong. In proving the Catholic faith is biblical. So there, take that. That was excellent. <laughs> so I, I imagine also the, the muscle memory of the repetition allows your mind to focus on the internal right. to, as it, well. It frees. Yeah it's, yeah, it's kind of a freeing thing. <clears throat> no, that's fascinating. Yeah. So we have, I mean, in one sense, that's what also makes the rosary a difficult prayer um, is because you can fall into that, that your mind wanders. It's not focused on the mystery, but you've got this background noise that you lullaby yourself to sleep or you start thinking of the grocery lists right. or things like that. Now, that's another recommendation I, I make for people um, when they pray is, is always have something to write down, like mm. have a pen and paper, pencil and paper, a little notebook. Um, it helps fight distractions because I know myself, I sit down, I start to, my prayers and I'm like, oh, I've got to email this. Oh, I've got to call the boiler guy. Oh, I've got to oh, mm. the, this. Let's just write that stuff down. That way you don't have to try to remember it and you can focus on what's important. Mm. Um, or the same thing, it's, it's good to have it there. If you get a good insight, you want to make a good resolution, you can write that down um, to, to remember it. Or yeah. you might be inspired. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I really should, you know, I really should call my mom or I should, you know, write a letter that I've been meaning to as a way of inspiration. So it's not just a distraction, but it's something that's kind of one of the fruits coming from your prayer uh, to do an act of charity or, or work of mercy or something. So I think also intentionally putting it on your schedule is yeah. that helps because then it prevents the distraction of, right. oh, I got to do these other things. Well, no, right. that, I, I, I made time you've, for you've this. You've carved this time out. Right. This is what you're doing. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually been um, helpful to me for that because I, this past week I scheduled public rosary. It's like, mm, yeah. oh, yeah. I don't have to worry about fitting it in right. anywhere else. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's, it's, already already, it's already scheduled. Yeah. And I, because it's public, I have to be there. Right. You know, right. Whether anybody's there or not, I, I have to be there. Um, so so that, that's helpful. So, yeah, making a schedule and, and um, you know, just like that. Any relationship, you you know, you make an appointment, you make a date with friends. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, uh, we'll get together and have a beer at this time. You know, mm -hmm. so you make you make a date with our Lord, yeah, and do your best to keep it. Well, I think we have successfully filled an episode without Andrew's <laughs> gift of gab <laughs> that he has. So, um, so were you saying he's superfluous? <laughs> I, I didn't say that, but it is uh, recorded now. <laughs> That you said that. Uh, no, I'm, I was asking. I was asking if you, is that, is that the meaning of your words? Is that another rephrase of what you're saying? Uh, I can't wait for him to listen to this. That yeah. would be hilarious. Um, and we did pretty well without drinking. We did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let you listeners be the judge whether it was better or worse. Yeah, let us know if yeah. we should drink or not when we yeah. do this. <laughs> um, okay, great. So okay. that was one episode uh, without Andrew in the can. And, uh, I'm not sure when this is airing, so I won't say what's going to come up next. Yeah, we don't we don't know what's coming next. We don't know, so it'll be a surprise. It's a surprise. So that's it's the mystery box, big door number one, two, or three. <laughs> but in the meantime, God bless you. Stay tuned. <laughs>